our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. From our Gospel lesson of St. Mark's account today, And when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. From medieval fairy tales asking, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? To modern sports fans chanting, we're number one, about their favorite team. It seems that the desire to be the best is a deeply rooted part of our human experience. But it goes back a lot further than that, doesn't it? There's Pontius Pilate asking Jesus if he realizes that he has authority to release him or to crucify him. There's David, not satisfied with being a beloved and wealthy and successful king. He's got to have another man's wife, too. There's Moses, not content with just speaking God's words, but deciding to add a little uncommanded flourish of striking the rock and speaking of his own power to bring forth water for the people. And there are the people of Babel, those who attempted to build a tower to heaven so that they might make a name for themselves. And of course, there's the original whopper, the one that got this whole filthy mudslide started. Two creatures believing another creature rather than the Creator and seeking to be like God, knowing good and evil. Even Satan's own rebellion against the Lord was based on his desire to be more than what God had created him to be. Now there can be a tendency amongst us to look at those biblical accounts like that and say to ourselves, well, I'm not a Roman governor and I would never have crucified Jesus. Or, I'm not a king and I would never have sex with another man's wife. Or, I'm not a prophet and I won't be proclaiming God's word or performing any miracles. Or, I'm not foolish enough to think that I could ever build a tower that could reach up to heaven. But don't delude yourselves. Like David, you have violated another man's wife or husband with every lustful thought, word, or deed, even if that person isn't married to his or her eventual spouse yet. Like Moses, you've taken credit for the work that God has done through you and in you, and you've manipulated His Word to suit your own preferences and your own circumstances. And like those at Babel, you have attempted to construct things and to shape circumstances so that the results bring glory to you rather than to God. And yes, you've had every bit as much to do with Jesus being delivered into the hands of men and killed on that cross as did Pontius Pilate. As you journey down life's pathways then, what are you going to say when Jesus asks you, what were you discussing on the way? Are you going to give him some vague and false answer, attempting to mislead him from your true motives and your actions? Or are you going to remain silent like the disciples, knowing that you too have been fighting with your brothers and your sisters, struggling to determine who among you is the greatest? Or will you throw yourselves down in humility and repentance, admitting rightly, Lord, I have been living my life as if I mattered most 
not loving or serving you or my neighbor according to your will. Have mercy on me and save me from my sins. St. James in our epistle lesson for today has many things to say to us about our desires to be the greatest, to have things our way. Through Him, the Holy Spirit seeks to guide us toward a clearer picture of what it means to be truly successful, to be truly great. And the text begins with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's both a genuine inquiry and it's a challenge toward us. Now, how many of us can stand up and raise our hands and truly say, I am, I'm wise and understanding? You see, in the very act of answering that question, we reveal our true colors. And like most of God's work, the answer to it turns things completely upside down. Those who claim wisdom and understanding as their own attributes clearly don't have them. And those who admit that they do not possess wisdom and understanding are further along the path toward obtaining them. Now, it's not that there isn't wisdom and understanding in this world. In fact, there's more knowledge available to us today than at any time in human history. And access to it has become very nearly instantaneous and often very comprehensive. There are even highly complex software packages out there that can take incomprehensibly large amounts of data and make well-reasoned decisions from it. And even such mundane, everyday things of our lives like clothes dryers and thermostats, they have the capacity to be, to be set up to respond to things and make decisions on their own to certain conditions. But if our worldly knowledge and wisdom and understanding can do nothing more than give us advantages for this life, how beneficial is it, really? Yes, we may find ourselves more comfortable and more admired, healthier and living longer lives, but if at the end we still die, what has it gained us? St. James reminds us that there are important distinctions to be made, both between the content of worldly and heavenly wisdom and its effects on us. Our wisdom is shown, James says, in conduct that is not self-serving or self-aggrandizing. Our wisdom is best exhibited in meekness. Not in wimpiness, mind you, but in a firm commitment to be gentle and humble. The world uses jealousy to make comparisons between one person's status and success and another's. And then it encourages ambition in us so that we are driven toward shifting how those comparisons are perceived by others. Where do we rank, we want to know? Are we making more money than others? Are we more attractive than so-and-so? Is our house bigger, more tastefully decorated, cleaner? Are our children better behaved, smarter, or cuter? It's wrong to boast of such things, James says. Boasting of them is false to the truth, which is this. None of your successes are your own. Every scrap and every bit of ability and intellect you have, everything that might enable you to get ahead in the worldly sense, has come to you from God. You are His, and you ought to behave as if you are, putting your gifts to work for His glory and for the benefit of your neighbor, and not for your own glory and success. Our jealousies and our selfish ambitions are earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic, James writes. 
That's a pretty serious indictment of our motives, isn't it? In them, we become connected not to God, but to Satan. Through them, there becomes chaos and disgusting behavior as we attempt to climb over the wounded bodies and the ruined lives of others to reach the top. Even the structures that we put in place to make our ambitions organized in a worldly way become perverted in how we use them. And from our vainless and or from our vain and fruitless attempts to try to gain ground on others comes strife. We struggle against others who struggle against our aims, and quarrels and fights arise. And even within ourselves, James says, our passions are at war. And that can make sense to us, doesn't it? A passion is something that fully consumes someone, often to the exclusion and the detriment of everything else. So when our passions come into conflict, whether within ourselves or in competition with others, something has to give. We can't have everything our own way, nor can anyone else. Thus James says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Not always in the overt and literal sense, of course, or the streets of Austin would run red with the blood of those who get in our way. But we do continue to covet having things our way, and we cannot always have them, and so conflict is inevitable. Even if our prayers get corrupted, it's because in those moments when we have a flash of true wisdom and understanding, and we realize that all things are possible with God, we ask for the wrong things, out of the wrong motives. We ask for the things that satisfy our worldly desires, and we neglect to ask first and foremost for a right spirit. It's really kind of sad and ironic, isn't it? We want to have the friendship or at least the admiration of the world for all our accomplishments. But in seeking those, whether it's through ignoring God in our pursuits or in wrongly asking Him to address our worldly desires, we put ourselves at enmity with God. And the effect in the end is that we find ourselves at odds with both God and the world. James points out, though, that in spite of our unfaithfulness and our selfishness and our desire to go chasing after worldly acclaim, God remains faithful and gracious to us. He does indeed, as James writes, yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell within us. How about that? God is jealous over you. He loves you so much that it hurts Him to see you prostituting yourself over the things of this world, to be consorting with the devil, of being a gold-digging tramp of a man or a woman in this life. But we need to understand that jealousy rightly. It's not the unjust jealousy of covetousness or envy, the sin of seeking what isn't yours. Rather, it's the righteous jealousy that the God who has created you and given you everything has, who has every expectation and every entitlement to your devotion, like a faithful husband who only wants his bride to remain faithful too. Then James quotes a proverb. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud because pride is self-elevation. It's the meaningless consideration of ourselves which ignores or downplays our shortcomings and excessively plays up our imagined attributes and positives. Our view of ourselves, though, isn't what matters, nor is the world's view of us significant. 
Only how we are seen by God is truly important. So let Him see you as you ought to be. As a humble sinner, recognizing that you are lost apart from Him. Call upon Him to help you resist the devil and the temptations of this world and your own prideful flesh. For it is only through the work of the Word of God that Satan is defeated and driven from the field of battle. Cleanse your hands, not with plain water, but by returning once again over and over to the Spirit-enriched font. Purify your hearts in His richly appointed feast at His supper, so that even as you live in the tension of being double-minded saints and sinners in this world, He may drive out your fears and your ambitions and your jealousies. What James advises next is no picnic, however. It sounds very unpleasant and it runs completely contrary to what we are told by the world. To draw close to God, we are told that we are to be wretched, to mourn and to weep. We are to turn our laughter into mourning and our joy to gloom. But this is only for a little while and it is only for our good. It is contrition. It is repentance. It is being put into a right relationship with God that we might receive His harvest of righteousness and true joy and true comfort for this life and for the next. Above all, it is humility. It is placing ourselves at the mercy and in the service of God and our neighbor. It is denying ourselves the opportunity to be great in the eyes of the world so that God might make us truly good, truly pure, and exalted to the highest heaven. In this, we are made truly Christ-like. He who said, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all, was exactly that himself. He set aside his glory to place himself in service to God and neighbor. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death so that his life, his gifts, his kingdom might also be yours. Delivered into the hands of men, he suffered and was killed on your account. And so you need not vainly chase the passing things of this world, sacrificing your relationship with God and one another on the altar of jealousy and ambition. What you need, God will provide. By Jesus' service, His humility and His grace, everything is changed for you. By Jesus' good conduct and through His works in the meekness of divine wisdom, God now sees you in a whole new way, cleansed and faultless, covered by a righteousness that is not your own, but is Christ's. That is the wisdom that comes down from above. Heavenly wisdom, spiritual wisdom, divine wisdom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you for Jesus' sake. Amen.